Year was 1995. Uh, the Simonian family, the morning was like thousands of other mornings. They juggled bathroom privileges. They got ready for another day's work and breakfast on the run. And then the telephone rang. This is a true story. The call threw the family into a frenzy. In half an hour, President Bill Clinton would be stopping by to tour their family produce market. And you can imagine the panic that uh, followed. They had some knowledge that he was coming, but they didn't know specifically when. In 1892, this family had immigrated from uh, Armenia. And uh, in 1901, they bought 80 acres of land near Fresno, California. So this family, the Simonian family, had owned and operated a farm and roadside stand. They developed it into a produce market and a museum. Uh, they wanted to show how the Farming methods had changed from the 1850s through present day. So they produce 180 crops on this 80 acres of land. Seasonal fruit, they have a vineyard. And this family had welcomed visitors from all over the world. It was a very famous stop for people to go to. But they had never welcomed a, a, a person with this type of prestige and power, a president of the United States. The visitor was important enough to allow Bonnie and Dennis Simonian to allow their youngest daughter to stay home from school. How often do you get to shake hands or meet a president in your own home? Well, President Clinton and his Secret Service, they arrived on their entourage. They arrived exactly on time. The press was with them. And they toured the museum, the vineyard. And then they're in the market they're looking at the antique display of equipment, farm equipment. Cameras are flashing as uh, President Clinton taste-tested. They have this all down. Kiwi, peaches, fresh raisins. Every bite was a photo opportunity. And before he uh, resumed his tour of the valley, little Ashley came up to him and said, would you sign my memory book? He took out a pen and he began to, to write uh, down his name, and then, I guess it was a Secret Service agent whispered in his ear that she had skipped school. So right there in the middle of the family produce market, President Clinton invoked the powers of the President of the United States. He wrote an official excuse <laughs> for this little girl to take to her teacher a presidential pardon. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Two years later, he invited this family to his inauguration in January of 1997. Presidential pardons have been issued for all sorts of people, murderers, thieves, embezzlers, soldiers. But I imagine Ashley's was the first American pardon in history, a presidential pardon for an absence from school. Now, regardless of your politics, I know that any teacher, the teacher, it would be a rare teacher who would refuse to accept this type of excuse from one of the most powerful authorities on earth. And if I were their, the parents, Dennis and Bonnie Simonian, this is what I would have done. I would have made a copy of that uh, presidential pardon. And then I would have insured it. And then I would have hung it on the wall. And I would have sent the copy to the teacher. And then I would hope someone would steal it because then I could collect the insurance. LAUGHTER 
but this was a collector's item. What a thing to treasure. Just imagine that. In years to come, she could proudly show her children the official pardon she had received from the 42nd president of the United States. But I want to tell you something. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you do possess a pardon. One that you can treasure more than any president could ever write. I don't have to put my, safety de- my, my, my pardon in a safety deposit box. I wear my pardon. I live my pardon. I'm not only a citizen of the United States, but I'm a citizen of heaven. And I believe, because I believe that Jesus is my Savior. And my pardon, my pardon is a pardon for my sins. It's not an excuse. There's no excuse for sins. My pardon is not from my country's president, but from the ruler of the universe. Every time I read my pardon, which is in this book, I'm filled with gratitude and praise. You see, in your sermon section, it says, my pardon, your pardon. And there's a verse there that says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's First John 1 John 1.9. But then there's another one that I'm going to read right now, and you know it, you know it by heart. I'm going to conclude this message with the same verse. For God so loved the world, they gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, I want to talk to you just very briefly about the reasons that we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Yes, we're having another message about communion. Now, some of you may think, well, we've heard this before. That's true. But an old friend of mine shared this with me, and she said, you can never hear the word of God too much. You never know what it's going to do to you or whose life it may change. So that's the reason we're going back and we're looking at this again. The reason we celebrated the Lord's Supper, there are two ordinances in the Baptist belief. An ordinance is like a law. And these ordinances are to be observed in church. The first ordinance is this, it's baptism. That's to be observed by each person as a sign of the beginning of his or her Christian life when they place their faith in Jesus Christ. And then the second is what we call the Lord's Supper or communion. It's a time when we come together and we celebrate our unity and our togetherness. This ordinance is to be observed repeatedly, repeatedly throughout our Christian lives as a sign of our continuing fellowship with the Lord. And that's the reason we're going back over this because we take things for granted and we we know we need to do things and we put them off and we need to hear this again. Jesus and the cross and his accomplishment, the simplicity of, of Jesus' sacrifice, Jesus didn't die in vain. He died with no part of his work left undone. He didn't die to make us savable. He died to save us. He didn't die that sin might be vanquished by some effort of our own. Look at this. Jesus died to vanquish sin once and forever. One death, one sacrifice, one atonement, one cross. 
The entirety of the gospel hung on the cross. One price, one purchase. One cross, one crown. One death and deliverance. And Jesus said victoriously, it is finished. There's a richness in the Lord's Supper. The meaning of the Lord's Supper is costly, it's complex, and it's complete. There's several things that are indicated and affirmed in the Lord's Supper, and when we participate in this time of communion, we are expressing the death of Jesus Christ. Our actions are a sermon. They provide a picture of his death for us. So this is your word picture. When the bread is broken, which you receive in the simple tray, it symbolizes the breaking of Christ's body. And when the cup is poured out, which you receive, we get a little tiny cup of juice, it symbolizes the pouring out of Christ's blood. Our participation, this is key for you to see, our participation in the Lord's Supper is a proclamation of our faith and a belief in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Now we have the declaration of communion. It, it really is a proclamation. And you all know what a proclamation is. It's the announcing of something important. Let's take a look at these verses here. 1 Corinthians 11. I want to read verses 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this and remember me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And verse 26 is important. This particular verse is our proclamation, our announcement of the Lord's death. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It means we have the privilege of sharing of sharing with other believers what Jesus Christ did by his death. My prayer for you is that you will grow out of your bashfulness, all of you, and you'll speak of Jesus Christ. You all have family that need Jesus. You all have friends that need Jesus. And we have a proclamation that we can make. You see, it means we have, it's a free notice of what Jesus has done for every sinning man, woman, and child. And when we value something that's relevant for us and for others, it, moves, it should move us to delight and, and to speak, to speak of Jesus and I'm speaking of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there's an intimacy that takes place here. This is, this is public, and we do this together, but yet there's this, this intimacy when you are alone with your thoughts before the Lord, when, when you're with the, the bread and before you take of the, the bread and, and you take of the cup. The intimacy of the Lord's Supper, which we call communion, is our opportunity to, to remember his sacrifice and it's time for us to support one another. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Remembering enables us to assert the truth of our salvation. But you know, it's amazing. 
even though we're talking about remembering, people don't, everyone doesn't remember at the same time with the same intensity. So that's why you and I need to be brought back to the death of Jesus Christ. And it needs to be brought to us again and again and again with the spoken word. And the reason is that we will not forget the preciousness, the absolute preciousness of the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. Now, through the Lord's Supper, we have spiritual nourishment. Eating and drinking are for nourishing and sustaining life, but we have spiritual nourishment. Now, here is something I want you to see. It is the verses here in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, in verse 17 through 22. Now, Paul is writing to this church. You see, in case you don't know, we're not perfect here. And I have not been in a church yet that's perfect. And I would really like to find one because then I could join and spoil them, you know. (laughs) See, I would be the one that would spoil them because not in a good way. Because I would bring my sin and my problems and my divisiveness into that body. Now listen, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Hmm. Be quick about your meetings. Get down to business and stay to business. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. That's bad. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have been, there, there would have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. There's always differences. Where two or three are gathered together, there's bound to be a problem. So when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. You see, they had a covered dish supper. And those who had the means got there first, and they porked themselves. They ate, and they ate, and they ate. And those who came in last and came in the back door, poorer people, didn't get anything. For as you eat... Each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. And then Paul says, don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you desire, despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? No. Look, there's a bunch of sermons right in those verses right there. And it talks about, yes, we have differences. yes there's going to be problems. No, we're not. I mean, yes, we're not perfect. But there's a warning here. I'm, this is just a quick overview here, that, that we're, we're to be sold out to Jesus Christ, not in the worldly life in which we live every day. In other words, you've heard me say this a hundred times, one foot in the world and one foot in the church. And there's a very strong warning here, and we're, we're to pay attention to the, this warning needs to bring a change to our lifestyle. So as a pastor, I'm saying, we might need to change our lifestyle. Cindy and I were talking on the way to church here. We were talking about the great sins that we have seen that have taken place in people's lives that we thought were godly people and how they've affected Hundreds of people, we all hide something. 
there's things we don't want others to know. So this is, there's a strong warning here. One foot in the world, one foot in the church. You know what it tells me? It tells me you're a phony. And worst of all, you know it. Half in, half out makes you a small Christian. Worst of all, it makes you a half pint. You're a half pint believer. You're a little Christian with a tiny belief system. And this verse indicates we're not to have, this, this group of verses indicates we're not to have divisions among us. So eating and drinking here, they're not ordinary eating and drinking for us. The nourishment that is in the Lord's Supper here doesn't come from the bread and the juice. We're to take care to eat, to take care of the bodily needs by eating and drinking before we come to church. Like I said, there's, there's a whole bunch of sermons in this section. But this supper, it's, it's a remembrance of the death of Jesus Christ. It's not about physical nourishment. It's about spiritual nourishment. It's about us making changes. It's about us honoring the Lord. It's about us not being a small Christian. From the Lord's Supper we receive from Jesus Christ, we receive spiritual nourishment, strength and hope and joy. And that comes from allowing our souls to feast upon all that Jesus has purchased for us on the cross. Now this supper, communion, produces remembrance, as I've just said, but it also produces the unity of believers When we participate, we're giving a clear sign of our unity with one another. When you participate, you come into the presence of Jesus, and you remember that he died for you. You participate in the benefits of his death. You receive spiritual nourishment, and you are united with other believers who share in this supper. In verses 23 through 25, together we remember the Lord's death. And that's what we're going to do in just a few moments. Jesus gave us a simple reminder to help us keep him in our memories. We're to remember his death. It's the most important death in history, but we're to remember his resurrection because it's the only one in history. Each time we drink of the cup, we're to remember the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ in this new covenant. The New Testament, the new direction. It's a pledge to to forgive the sins of the people. But you see this new covenant, there's something that's very unique about this. You see, it's a decision we have to make to follow Jesus. We, We have to make a personal choice decision We need to choose life through Jesus Christ. I want to conclude with another story. On March 5th, 1985, Wayne Alderson, a successful labor negotiator from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, appeared on the Today Show. This date was very important because it was the 40th anniversary of um, Alderson's being wounded. He was the first American soldier to cross the Siegfried Line in Germany in World War II. 
he had a permanent crease in his head where a bullet had hit him and traveled through part of his skull. He was asked the most important memory of on the occasion, and, and Alderson took a moment and, and replied, he says, my most important memory, my most memorable memory is this. He said that it was a redheaded friend that had saved his life. He said, I came face to face with a German soldier. He threw a grenade, and it landed at my feet. It knocked me off my feet and put me face down in the mud. He said, before I fell in the mud, I shot him. And then what took place is this. As he's in, in the mud, a nearby German pillbox opened fire in his direction. He knew that if that grenade hadn't killed him, because he, he knew he was bleeding, but he knew he was still alive, he said machine gun fire was soon going to do that. But his red-headed friend turned him over so he could breathe. He threw his body across his Shielding him from the deadly machine gun, he says, I, with tears in his eyes, rolling down his cheeks, he said, I can never forget the person who sacrificed his life for me. I owe everything to him. Everything. I can never forget. I owe everything to him. You see, God has shown us His love through Jesus' death on the cruel cross. We can never forget what Jesus has done for us. We owe everything to him. We can never forget what Jesus has done. We owe everything to him. My pardon is your pardon. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. For God so loved the world, they gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not, will not perish, but will have eternal life. Folks, that's why we celebrate communion. We can never forget what Jesus has done for us. Gracious Lord, we thank you. We praise you. And we love you. Lord, we're, we're inconsistent in our walk. We struggle, and we thank you for your forgiveness. But Lord, as we come to this table, it's important that we understand it. We allow our minds to remember the sacrifice that has been made. Father, we need to remember the love that brought that sacrifice about. It truly is a call for each one of us in just a brief moment to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've blown it this week. Lord, these past months, I've been struggling. I've been doubting you. Lord, these past weeks, my thoughts have not been pure. I've looked at things I shouldn't. I have thought things I shouldn't. Lord, I have taken from someone else something that's important to them. Lord, we must never, ever, ever, ever forget what you have done. We thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. We thank you for the cleansing that we receive when we believe. 
And we thank you for your son, Jesus, who means so much to us. Lord, help us to carry Jesus in our lives and live, our, live Jesus this week. It's a tough world, Lord. A lot of insinuations, a lot of lies. There's a lot of tripwires that we walk into that we just don't see. And the enemy is always ready, always ready to bring us to defeat. Lord, we want to walk with you. And we want our lives to be pure. So before we go anyplace else, before we do anything else, Father, we just come to you and we just plead with you. We ask your forgiveness. And then, Lord, we take a deep breath and we just revel in your love. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.